You're listening to The Big Show with Patrick Dumas on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Live from the ice box, it's the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Worried about radon? We install custom mitigation systems to reduce your risk. To find out more, visit dlbasementsystems.com for a free estimate. Uh, it's Super Wild Card Weekend around the NFL. Six games to digest. Also, like, my God, the coaching carousel right now. Like, what is happening? Never sleeps in the NFL. We're joined by Jordan Dijani, NFL writer out of CBSSports.com. Jordan, thank you for taking some time out of your morning and chatting with me. How you doing? Patrick, my man, what's going on? Thanks for having me on the show. You just reminded me. We actually have football to watch this weekend. Right. I kind of went by the wayside knowing how crazy the coaching carousel has been over the past few days, how crazy coaching has been in general, right? I mean, Nick Saban mm-hmm. comes down in Alabama, Pete Carroll, Mike Rabel, Bill Belichick. The Patriots already have their new head coach. <laughs> so, yeah, I kind of forgot that we have football uh, to watch this weekend. It made the week go quick. I will say that. And we'll start with the coaching. And uh, Gerard Mayo is the uh, newest man in New England. Uh, rumors throughout you know, this feels like this was the guy all along. And then Ian Rappaport uh, tweeting out this morning that, hey, it was written into Mayo's contract that he was eventually going to be Belichick's successor. Whether Bill knew that or not, that's another story. But uh, right move for the Patriots to keep it in-house and, and go to one of the one of Bill's favorites? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, first of all, I've been saying for a couple of years now that Gerard Mayo was going to be Bill Belichick's replacement. And there was always rumors about that. I didn't know that it was written into his contract. I think that's a tidbit that came out on Thursday evening. Um, But Gerard Mayo is now taking over for Bill Belichick, and he's now the youngest head coach in the NFL. Um, It's kind of interesting because he's a guy who doesn't have coordinator experience. He's been an inside linebackers coach for the Patriots since 2019, but he's clearly made an impact in the building. So, it's an interesting question because it's too early, clearly, to tell if this was the right decision or the wrong decision. And even though I liked uh, Gerard Mayo as the, the, the coach to replace the great Bill Belichick, once Mike Vrabel got fired in Tennessee, that's, you know, a lot of people started connecting Vrabel mm-hmm. to go back to New England. It's been well reported over the past year that there were people inside the Patriots building that viewed Mike Vrabel as the home run hire if he was available. He did become available, but the Patriots still decided to go with Gerard Mayo. And that just feels like, like I don't know if it's like Robert Kraft playing it safe and, you know, know like it's almost like, uh, you, know, you know, it's the devil you know versus the devil you don't know type thing there in New England. Like they're almost like, a, like I don't know, I don't want to say afraid or scared to, to try something new, but it just feels like he, he wanted somebody that had the same belt that has – that has been around Bill Belichick, that has that same mentality, maybe not the same mentality, but it just feels like they could have gone elsewhere instead of, you know, because of how New England's been the last couple of years. Like, this is unheard of over the last 24 years with how their play has been. Yeah, if I had to speculate, one of the more intriguing storylines that's come out this offseason, and maybe it's because I'm sitting here in Nashville, Tennessee, but it's about uh, the power that head coaches have within the building. Um, and that's something historically that has not worked. It worked for Bill Belichick for quite some time. There's no doubt about that. Um, but that was kind of a, a talking point entering here into 2023 and now into 2024 was his power within the building as a general manager. And maybe, and Robert Kraft actually, by the way, spoke about this during his press conference yesterday on Thursday, 
But if I had to speculate, I'm kind of wondering, there's a new power structure here in New England, right? Gerard Mayo is not going to have roster control. He's not going to look like a general manager in the way Bill Belichick did. The Patriots are now going to hire a general manager to oversee that facet of their organization. Mike Vrabel was someone who reportedly had considerable roster control with the Tennessee Titans, and he wanted even more roster control with the Tennessee Titans, which was a reason, one of the reasons for his split uh, here in Nashville. So I think Mike Frabel, the next place he goes, it's going to be interesting to watch how he handles those interviews and what exactly his role is going to be in the front office, um, if he has any kind of power within the front office. But with Gerard Mayo in the Patriots, he's someone who's not going to have that kind of power. So it's a different kind of power structure in New England. And we'll, we'll, we'll move on to, to Nashville and the Tennessee Titans, Mike Vrabel's exit. Certainly that was a case of owner and coach uh, on two different pages. Yeah, I mean, we could spend an entire segment on that for sure. Yeah. It was surprising in my opinion. I mean, Mike Vrabel is seen as one of the better coaches in the NFL, and I'm sure that he will be somewhat of a hot commodity on the coaching market. Um, this had nothing to do with the first-year general manager, Ray Carthon. This was really the owner, Amy Adams-Strunk, uh, versus Mike Vrabel. And The Athletic wrote a great piece kind of breaking yes. down where exactly things went wrong. There wasn't one big event, right? Sometimes avalanches can be started by the moving of a couple of rocks, and that's what happened here in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, Mike Vrabel wanted more power, reportedly, um, with the roster. Um, he had considerable power in 2023, and, of course, the Titans were one of the worst teams in the NFL. So he did not show his promise as a general manager, uh, in my opinion. So a lot of different reasons uh, for Tennessee to move on. It's still a bit surprising. You don't want to let a good head coach leave your organization. But it's kind of hard to demote your head coach when it comes to his responsibilities in the front office with roster management. And that's why Tennessee decided to head in a different direction. It did, did feel like this week was was an end of an era in the coaching world, whether that was Bill Belichick and, and New England parting ways or, or even Mike Vrabel leaving Tennessee, who had built a, a good time there. He's been there for, for quite a while. And then you have Pete Carroll's news, which I think was the most shocking of all coming out of Seattle. Uh, it's just like and then like obviously we'll, we'll get into Nick Saban as well. But just like it felt like a, a little bit of a, a football era ended there on Wednesday when, when Bill left New England and with what Pete Carroll did, because we grew up with these guys. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, I mean, especially when it comes to Bill Belichick, that's that's a real end of an era, just not for the Patriots, but in the NFL in yeah. general. It's, it's going to be and, – and one thing that the two sides made very clear in their press conference yesterday was that Bill Belichick still wants to coach. He's not retiring. He's not retiring to his beach house somewhere down south. He, he wants to mm-hmm. remain on the mm-hmm. sidelines. And that's going to be so weird to see Bill Belichick wearing a Chargers hoodie or or a Commander's (laughs) hoodie or whatever on the sideline next year. So that is definitely the weirdest part about this offseason. Nick Nick Saban's legacy, you know, you're in Nashville. That's an SEC town uh, being with Vanderbilt there. Just like, can you speak to his legacy of just like what he meant to the college football game. Obviously, the seven national titles speak for themselves. One at LSU, six at Alabama. And, and then what he did at Alabama. Like, the Crimson Tide were always a blue blood, but they were in the doldrums for a long time until Nick Saban got there and brought them back to prominence. And I don't think, if you ask Nick Saban back in 2007, I don't even think he thought he was what he was going to be able to do at Alabama. But just speak to the legacy of, of what he meant to the game and, and what, he was, what he's still trying to do to college football as, as that landscape continues to change. 
Yeah, that's something. One thing that really sticks out about Nick Saban is that he wasn't like the hottest coaching commodity back in 2006, 2007 when he signed on with Alabama. He was with the Miami Dolphins and things went poorly. But Alabama took a shot on Nick Saban and ended up finding the Bill Belichick of college football, basically. And the thing that really stands out about these guys is is the kind of culture they were able to foster within their respective programs. And to be able to find that level of success over, you know, across multiple decades means that you are an expert when it comes to changing and adapting while still remaining the same within your organization. And that's something that really stands out to me about the sustained success that both Nick Saban and Bill Belichick had. And as you mentioned, yeah, I'm here in Nashville, Tennessee. So this week was kind of a holiday, to be honest with you. (laughs) A lot of people attended the university, attended see a lot of SEC fans here, Vanderbilt, LSU. Uh, a lot of people were popping bottles earlier this week when Nick Saban announced that he was going to be stepping down. And it's going to be fascinating to see what the, this program, Alabama, is going to do because in this weird era of NIL, yep. we've got private planes flocking to Tuscaloosa trying to steal these players, hand them new deals. And I'm sure that even the best recruits at Alabama are kind of thinking twice about where this, uh, where this uh, program is going to be heading. But, man – I wasn't popping bottles when Nick Saban announced he was stepping down. I mean, he's a legend. It feels like a part of your childhood mm-hmm. almost dies mm-hmm. when he's stepping down. You saw all the murals outside of Tuscaloosa, the you know oatmeal cream pies lined up in an A. It's almost like he passed away. But uh, man, you know, it's, you're right. It was definitely a weird week in college football and in the NFL as well. And like just like, and then like you think of like all these openings now, and the amount of of coaches that are have become free agents, like big name head coaches who won Super Bowls, are now free agents. That's unheard of. And in and in any any other year, this would be a year where Bobby Slowick or Ben Johnson, you know, I, they'll they'll still get interviews. They they might still get jobs, but it just feels like with all these free agents that are out there with the big name coaches, that maybe a team might want to go with one of the guys that they know instead of bringing in like a Ben Johnson or something to to coach for the first time. But I'm sure some teams have that philosophy, say, hey, those guys are old news. This is a new game. Yeah, I'll tell you, this is one of the more intriguing additions of the coaching carousel that I've seen over the past few years because I don't think we're done. We've already seen several surprises, but now that Bill Belichick is a free agent, he wasn't traded, he didn't retire, he is a free agent. He's free to sign on wherever he wants that may give some other teams like the Dallas Cowboys, depending on what happens mm, this weekend, uh, a second thought. Who knows what the Chicago Bears are totally sold on Matt Eberflus. Um, I think it was ESPN's Adam Schefter said yesterday to you know keep an eye on the landscape of the league. We may not be done with coaching movement. And to add on to that, I mean, we don't know who's going to be available. What's going on with Jim Harbaugh yep. coming out of Michigan? Is he going to be someone who is making his return to the NFL? that's going to attract the attention of a lot of general managers who are looking for their new lead men as well. So the Patriots were the first domino to fall in terms of hiring their new lead man. Maybe that wasn't surprising, but is there going to be another organization that is comfortable saying we're good on Jim Harbaugh. We're good on Bill Belichick. We'll take, you know, Ben Johnson or Aaron Glenn or Patrick Graham, wherever it may be. That's going to be the next thing to really digest. Uh, well, let's get into it. Uh, super super wild cards uh, weekend is here. Saturday has a couple games. Uh, the Browns and Texans will get us uh, kicked off at two thirty uh, Mountain Time. But uh, this Browns Texans they met in Houston a few weeks back. Cleveland went in there, cranked them pretty good. But you know, Houston was without C.J. Stroud. Which team is more likely, in your eyes, to go on a run here? 
That's a good question because, first of all, I think it's the Cleveland Browns. Um, I, I, I like the Browns a lot. It's mostly because of their defense. And, uh, I mean, they had the highest three, out per, three and out percentage since the 2005 Titans, the fewest yards allowed per drive since the 2008 Steelers. Historically, Cleveland's defense was fantastic. But the headline of this team is probably Joe Flacco, mm-hmm. um, who has not come in and checked the ball down to David Njoku and his running backs. He is trying to stretch the field. And that's what you love to see from a guy – um, who's trying to make the most of his opportunity. By the way, Joe Flacco is tied with Tom Brady for the most road playoff wins by a starting quarterback in NFL history. So I trust Cleveland on the road here. And I will bring up, actually you brought up, uh, that, that these two teams played a few weeks ago. And C.J. Stroud was not in the lineup. That's a big fact. But, man, this Houston secondary was absolutely abused by Joe Flacco and Amari Cooper, who morphed into Tom Brady and Randy Moss in that matchup, it seemed like. Amari Cooper set a single-game record in the Browns uh, franchise for most receiving yards in a game. I think it was 265. I expect him to be a pillar when it comes to their offensive game plan. I'm leaning towards the Cleveland Browns. But another thing to keep an eye on here is that the bracket is working against Cleveland or Houston, whichever team wins, because I don't anticipate a, an upset in Kansas City. I feel like the Chiefs will defeat the Dolphins. I don't anticipate an upset in snowy Buffalo, um, where the Bills will probably defeat the Pittsburgh Steelers. That means that either the Houston Texans or the Cleveland Browns will have to take on the Baltimore Ravens, the <laughs> hottest team in the league in the divisional round. So I feel like the bracket is working against some of these teams uh, in the AFC side of things. Yeah, no, I I totally agree there with Cleveland uh, eventually finding their way to Baltimore, that Joe Flacco uh, has a chance to go up against uh, the Ravens, his former team. And and just how big is it for Joe Flacco and his legacy? With If he wins uh, on Saturday, he becomes the NFL's all-time leader in road playoff wins. And I I think that's a a stat that people have kind of forgotten about because he's been out of the league for so long. But I'm really looking forward to see what the Browns can do, the teams can do. It all depends on what Denzel Ward and his health as well. That'll be a big one to watch. Uh, Tyreek Hill, he's returning to uh, an icy Kansas City. We're talking like minus 30 Fahrenheit wind chill uh, tomorrow night. Do you, we give the Dolphins a chance because of how the Chiefs are, or is it just like, okay, we're just waiting for Patty Mahomes to enter playoff mode because I'm not seeing it with this group of receivers. Yeah, I mean, those are good questions, but I really think that the weather is going to decide this matchup. And I think that the injuries on the defensive side of the ball for Miami are going to decide this matchup. I mean, no Jalen Phillips, no Bradley Chubb, no Cam Good, no Jerome Baker, no Andrew Van Ginkle, no Xavier Howard. They are down a ton of starters out on the defensive side of the ball. And then again, you factor in the weather. I mean, the Dolphins have lost their last 10 coldest starts. That's the longest active streak in the NFL. Weather.com says it's going to be one of the coldest games in NFL Mm -hmm. playoff history. And Tua Tungabailoa has a losing record when the the thermostat's below 70 degrees. So I really don't see that. It's going to be really tough to imagine the Dolphins, who aren't good in the cold, marching into arguably the most hostile environment in the NFL – in the postseason, in prime time, it's clearly a revenge game for Tyree Kill versus the Chiefs defense, which the Chiefs defense has been one of the best defenses in the NFL this season. I got Kansas City moving on. I'd be pretty surprised to see Miami show up here in the blistering tundra and pull <laughs> off an upset. Uh, it's on network TV up here, but do you got your Peacock subscription? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you this. <laughs> I'm not paying for it, but I got someone else who's paying well, for there it. You so go. There you go. There you go. At least you're watching the game. At least you're watching the game. Uh, is this maybe the Bills' best chance at a Super Bowl? The way the I path love sets up? The Buffalo Bills. 
Yes, exactly. That's exactly where I was going to go with this. I think that they – I tried to predict the entire playoff bracket from CBSSports.com, which obviously is a fool's errand. <laughs> but I have the Buffalo Bills going to the AFC championship game. I mean, Joe Brady, the interim offensive coordinator, who, by the way, helped orchestrate one of the best college or offenses in college football history with that 2019 LSU team, he's done a fantastic job as the interim offensive coordinator with the Buffalo Bills. He's still trying to help Josh Allen cut down on his turnovers. But the defensive side of the ball has witnessed a, a kind of rejuvenation as well in Buffalo. I think Rajul Douglas, the cornerback they picked up from the Green Bay Packers at the trade mm-hmm. deadline, was arguably the best trade deadline addition this Buffalo Bills team is playing inspired football. I still don't view them as, you know, a, an undoubtedly top three team that has a chance to make a legitimate Super Bowl run. But the bottom line is they have the pieces there. They've been playing well as of late, so they're going to have a chance. So I really think that we're going to see the Chiefs versus the Bills in the divisional round. That's right. This postseason rivalry in the AFC is back after last year off. Um, and I, that's going to be one of the games to watch for sure. So, yeah, I like Buffalo to make a pretty deep run, in my opinion. Yeah, and, there, and if the Bills get Kansas City at high mark, it just feels like it just it just plays into the Bills' hands uh, a little bit more. Another team that's uh, trying to exercise a lot of playoff demons is the Dallas Cowboys. This I, I, I echo that the this might be the Bills' best path to the Super Bowl. Could this be the Dallas Cowboys' best path? best chance at least getting to the NFC championship. And then they go, well, who knows what happens with the San Francisco 49ers again. But uh, this feels like similar to Buffalo Dallas's best chance at getting deep. Yes. Great minds think alike in my bracket. I have the Cowboys advancing to the NFC championship game and their, their path is, uh, is, is better than the bills. In my opinion. I mean, you take on the green Bay Packers who undoubtedly are a feisty team with Jordan love who's playing good football, but this is the youngest uh, playoff team since like the 1970s. Yep. They don't have much experience. They're going on the road where Dallas has been an absolute juggernaut here in 2023. So I had the Bills or the Cowboys moving on in the first round. Then in the second round, they're going to take on, well, we don't know what they're going to take on, but I have the Buccaneers upsetting the Philadelphia Eagles. So the Cowboys will host Tampa Bay. Baker Mayfield, I, I really like the kind of turnaround he's had, but he's dealing with a ribs injury. I don't view the Buccaneers as one of the best teams in the NFL, despite their division-winning status. I have the Cowboys moving on in the divisional round, and that's where I guess they'll host or, or excuse me, they'll play the San Francisco 49ers. It's a recurring nightmare for Dak <laughs> Prescott. He can't stay away from the 49ers. So Dallas is going to have a have a chance to change the narrative, but man. If they if they fall in Super Wild Card Weekend or if they fall in the divisional round, a lot of people are going to be talking about the status of head coach Mike McCarthy. Oh, they'll be connecting the Bill Belichick dots to to Arlington in a second. The relationship between Jerry and Bill is is great. So yeah, if the Packers could go in there on on Sunday and and keep the ball away from Dallas because they Green Bay can run the ball. Aaron Jones is playing really good, and Dallas can't stop it. I, that's where I'm. I worry a little bit with Dallas if Green Bay can control that clock and just let Jordan Love do his thing. Uh, last two games we want to get to, and it might be the biggest game of all this weekend. It's it's Matthew Stafford, his return to Ford Field, Detroit. It was supposed to be him leading the Lions into their first home playoff game. Nonetheless, he wins the Super Bowl in Los Angeles, and Jared Goff, kind of like we're kind of getting forgotten in this whole Stafford returning to Detroit. Like this is golf playing against his former team that he took to his Super Bowl. And I like, I think like this game is even bigger for Jared Goff's legacy is, Hey, if I can beat the old guy, like look, look out, like look what these, this line can team can do. I just kind of worry what Dan Campbell is going to be coaching. Like, 
Yeah, definitely. And as you mentioned, this is definitely the game of the week. And I'll tell you this, the way I look at this matchup is that we have two explosive offenses. There's no doubt about that. But when it comes to the defensive side of the ball, I think that both teams are somewhat lacking. Now, it's worth mentioning that, that I think the Rams have a couple of young studs on the defensive front. They have some guy by the name of Aaron Donald as well. Boy. And as for the Lions, they're bringing back a couple of important pieces, such as C.J. Gardner-Johnson, Ali McNeil's back on the defensive line. Maybe James Houston, the second-year pass rusher, can serve as somewhat of a spark plug. But the Lions on both sides of the ball – have showed inconsistencies, especially at home this season. And I'm looking at the Los Angeles Rams. I think that Matt, this is a bigger game for Matthew Stafford. He's returning to his old home. Yeah. He has more wins, passing yards, passing touchdowns since Ford Field opened than, any, than every Lions quarterback in franchise history. And the other thing I'm looking at is which offense is going to find more success. I have more faith in the Rams and what I describe as their quote-unquote big four. When they have their big four on the field with Matthew Stafford, Kyron Williams, Cooper Cup, and Puka Nakua, they average 6.8 yards per play. L.A. is 6-2 and two with those four players on the field, and they average close to 30 points a game and close to 400 yards of total offense per game with those four guys in the lineup. And as I mentioned, I'm not a big fan of this Lions defense, especially when it comes to the secondary. So I really do think that this Rams uh, offense is going to find success, but I'm still, I'm still expecting a close game. In fact, in my bracket, I'm pretty sure I have this game going to overtime, <laughs> like 41-35 final score. So give me the Rams with the upset. I think it's a bigger game for Matthew Stafford. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, I just want some I just want some chaotic things to happen on Super Wild Card Weekend. Oh, I think I think we are going to get it. They talk about the divisional round being the best weekend of football because you've got the, the, the final eight, the final eight best teams, but, like, just with the amount of sheer chaos that can happen this weekend. Uh, on Monday, we'll get to our last game here. The Eagles limping into Ray J. We know the injury with Jalen Hurts. He, he hasn't thrown a football all week. We don't know what A.J. Brown's status is. They lost Sidney Brown uh, to a torn ACL. This has been a completely different Eagles team than we saw last year get to the Super Bowl. Even when they were winning, it felt like this Eagles team was a little bit off. They get big Dom DeCastro back on the sidelines, whenever that matters. But I feel like <laughs> the, the the coordinators have been a big issue there in Philadelphia. And I, and I agree. Like I think Tampa Bay can, can do everything. And they can, they can totally upset. Because if you go back to their, their Monday night game, I think it was, they were the first team, really only team this year, to really stop the tush push. Vita Vea was really good stopping Jalen Hurts. So, I don't know. I, I, I totally think the Bucs can mess with the Eagles here. Yeah, this was the worst game of the weekend, in my opinion, which is why they put it on Monday yeah. instead of the weekend. But, I mean, the Buccaneers, they're 5-1 and one since the start of December, while the Eagles are 1-5. and five. And it's just impossible to feel good about the Eagles right now. They're the sixth team to make the playoffs after going 1-5 and five or worse in the final six games of the season. As you mentioned, Jalen Hurts hasn't thrown a football in a minute. A.J. Brown's dealing with an injury. Devontae Smith is dealing with an injury. And you look at the Eagles' defense, that's been the main Achilles heel, in my, in my opinion. It's the reason that they have not been good here in 2023. Uh, their scoring defense, I think, is bottom three in the league. Uh, they, they give up chunk plays, much like the Detroit Lions do. Um, and as you mentioned, I really do think the biggest thing that why we're seeing the Eagles play bad football is that they're missing their coordinators. Jonathan Gannon was a good defensive coordinator. Shane Steichen was one of the best offensive coordinators in the NFL, in my opinion. In fact, I attributed much of Philly's success in 2022 to Shane Steichen as opposed to Nick Sirianni. Mm -hmm. And I'm starting to wonder about Nick Sirianni's job status. How is this Eagles front office feeling about him, even though they just got to the Super Bowl last year? 
What happens if the Buccaneers win by double digits at home against the Eagles this, or excuse me, on Monday night? That's something I'm watching as well. Yeah, I, I point to Philadelphia. I point to Dallas, and and I don't know if if Buffalo somehow falls to Pittsburgh. I wonder about Sean McDonough's status uh, going forward. But either way, it's going to be a fun weekend. Uh, playoffs are here. Enjoy the rest of the 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 run in to Las Vegas, and uh, it's going to be a great one, uh, Jordan. Thank you so much for taking some time and talking with me. Anytime. Appreciate you having me on the show.